0: Welcome to the Teachers Unified Podcast. I'm Sarah Lerner. On this episode, we'll hear from Mei-Ling ho Xing, a survivor from the Marjory Stoneman Douglas High School shooting in 2018. She speaks about being a lifelong activist, her experience from that day, how she cares for her mental health, what she's been up to since graduation and the work she's doing with chainless change and in communities of color. We are here with one of my favorite people in the whole entire world, Ms. Mei-Ling Ho-Sheng, who was my student, my sort of step team member, and a graduate of the class of 2019 from Marjorie Soman Douglas High School. So thank you so much for joining us.
1: Thank you for having me.
0: One of my favorite
1: teachers.
0: Oh, Stop. (laughs) (laughs) So I always like to start with who you are. So tell me about your family, where you grew up, your childhood, even though, as I said before we started the episode, you're still a child to me. Let the people know who you are.
1: Yes. Yeah, so hi, everybody. My name is Mailing ho Sheng. I was born in Atlanta, Georgia, raised in South Florida, Broward County, and I think I want to start out like I grew up underneath a conference table, <laughs> underneath health fair tables. Um, my mom did a lot of outreach, so I kind of grew up in a lot of the community spaces. I didn't realize how much it would really affect me in my grown age. I think I even was at the Women's March when, my, when um, I forgot what year, because I was in the womb. Uh, my mother <laughs> told me that she was at the Women's March when, I, when she, uh, she was pregnant with me. I kind of grew up pretty sheltered. Um, However, like I had a beautiful, like I grew up in the church and I think that just kind of creates my love for community, my love for people, my love for human life, especially Being able to attend Stoneman Douglas, um, I have, I probably passed at least five schools on my way to Stoneman Douglas. I was a reassigned student. However, I was able to meet such great people, so many great friends that I'm still friends with to this day. Even though we only took up 9% of the school, the Black population, um, we were a tight-knit family. And... We I think we actually just talked about this recently. Um one of my one of the classmates I graduated with, we were like, you know what? We made a time out of the time that we had. We used to play manhunt in the courtyard. We used to step until 10 o'clock at night. <laughs> um <laughs> we used to just like um love on each other and check on each other and Um, I'm happy that now going into my 20s, we still have that relationship where we check on each other, our mental health. And even like when we have like panic attacks and we have bad days and we don't know what's next and we just trying to figure out life as it is, we still can rely on each other. So I would say that my childhood was pretty beautiful, you know, besides obviously like the trauma.
0: Couple of things you said there. I was always so shocked at how small of a percentage the African-American students were at Stoneman Douglas, because I had so many students in my classes and I would (laughs) see everybody in the hallway. And I remember one year I had to look something up for the yearbook and I saw like wherever I was, like it was the student population was broken down by race And when I saw like 400, I like almost fell out of my chair because I mean, you're absolutely right. It, It was and it still is a very tight knit group of students. But I did not realize how small of a community it was within the larger school. I also love that you have been an activist since you were in the womb. So good for Miss Vicki for getting <laughs> yes. you out there. Props to your mom. <laughs> Props to my mom. <laughs> <laughs> Tell me more about your high school experience, like even up to, you know, halfway through junior year before everything happened.
1: Yeah, I would say my experience in high school had to be Um, a love-hate relationship with Stoneman Douglas. I think the love came in after (laughs) February 14th. Though a lot of the love came in after February 14th. But beforehand, I feel like I was always fighting for my individuality um, and talking about specific topics that affect um, the Black community. And just always fighting for a place there. I mean, I feel like we had a lot of... A few, well actually not say a lot we had selective teachers who were willing to accept us for our chaos that we were like just <laughs> trying to just trying to fit in just trying to be us you know being loud and wanting to dance in the hallways and wanting to just hang out and be in community with each other when we did see each other that's why I, I understand I didn't realize how you know, small we were at the time either, because we were just so like out there and so, you know, um unapologetically us. Um as you should have been. Yes, we were super unapologetic. I think that's what was so great about it, even though it was a struggle to perform certain songs. It was a struggle for us to like get funding for the step team. It was always like we were finding out ways how we were going to get our uniforms and how we were going to afford our uniforms and stuff where it seems like other clubs never had that issue. So fighting for that was really difficult, which made me, you know, resent the school in a lot of ways. But what I did appreciate was the black students, you know, like we held each other together. We cried together. We celebrated together. And, you know, I did appreciate my school for, like the, our newsletter, our yearbooks for being so like tight knit and stuff. So I was always the one reading them. And I would never fit in like one specific box. Of course, I was always involved with everything Black at Stoneman <laughs> Douglas, but I mean, I was friends with everybody. So I really enjoyed the diversity um, at the school post February 14th. Now, is it time for me to kind of talk about like February 14th now. Cause...
0: Yeah, whatever whatever you're comfortable sharing, I would love. I mean, I feel like I've heard your story, but I always learn something new, even if it's the same story again. So yeah, whatever you're comfortable sharing.
1: On February 14th, I was a junior. Um, February 14th is two days before my birthday. My birthday is on February 16th. Um, I was actually due on the 14th. That's a fun fact. But I call that divine timing now. exactly. Um, I remember I had on this red dress with these red shoes and a denim shirt, jacket. And I was matching with all my friends. I was in my Algebra 2 class when I heard two shots ring out. And at this time, now I understand a lot of our students, a lot of my classmates don't know what a gunshot sounds like. Now, me, I'm not very familiar, but I kind of knew exactly what that was i remember telling my teacher like hey did you hear that keep in mind i just failed this test i knew i failed i was like talking to um <laughs> one of my <laughs> i was talking to one of my friends and i was just like oh my god i can't believe like i should study i failed it but anyway what are you doing for valentine's day and i before i go into it i kind of want to highlight this real quick is that one of my the friend that i was talking to had a a globe it was a buddha um it was a little snow globe and there was a gold blue Buddha in it with gold flakes and then when you shake it it was like it was so beautiful so pretty he was going to give it to this girl um that wasn't his girl but he was really trying to win her over and it was too (laughs) funny it was too cute and that's when I had heard the two shots ring out then it, it turned into rapid fire um at that point I'm thankful that We did have the Code Red training prior to the 14th, even though we never really executed it physically, we already kind of knew what to do. Um, I would never let anyone take away the training that is given during the Code Red, because Code Red saved my life.
0: Were you on the second
1: floor? I was on the second floor. Okay. Okay. So no one, if anyone does, doesn't doesn't already, no one passed on the second floor. Um, and that's because we were able to prepare since we heard the gunshots from below and above. So we we suffer from a lot of audio trauma. That's what I've realized over the years. Um, is just listening and sounds and smells, not very visual. We hid behind our teacher's desk and our my teacher had her arms over me like an eagle protecting a nest and that's kind of how I describe it. Um she wasn't my favorite teacher but from this day from this day forward like I know that if my life was in danger, she would been she would hop in front of a bullet for me. And that's that's insane. You know, you could be like, oh I don't like her because she's hard on us or she's tough or she doesn't have that much personality you know but to know that regardless of that you know she was she she made sure that all of us were covered underneath her arms and as we heard um the gunshots we heard screaming and I remember hearing the footsteps of the shooter um walking past our our door and the sounds of the crackling of the walls and the glass it was crazy you know, like, so in this moment, it's crazy to think. I, um, as I get older, thinking about like my moments, my thoughts in that moment, thinking about my dad, um, who I rarely had contact with growing up because of his incarceration, but I had just got in contact with him in January prior to the shooting. Um, and it's only been less than a month of me having this relationship with him. So thinking about like, wow, I really wasted so many years to reach out. Like these are, you know, and now I'm gonna die. Like, um, thinking about my family, thinking about my mom, thinking about my church. And it's like, wow, I'm really gonna die because some crazy kid just feels like this was necessary, you know? And then after the shooting had finished, and we started hearing sirens, I realized in that moment, like, while others were feeling safe, I got more anxiety in that moment. Um, as a Black girl, like, I don't have that much trust in police officers. A lot of my perspectives have changed because of February 14th of police officers. When the SWAT team that came in, they had busted the window in and had us at gunpoint. And that was my first and last time I've ever been at gunpoint by an officer at such a young age, you know, after already surviving a gunman, like I created a level of trauma that I haven't been able to like get over, especially because um, like it was just trauma on top of trauma. Like, and plus a lot of my trauma was audio, but visually I see an officer with a gun in my face and my hands up, you know. When we were being escorted out of that building, I saw my friends and we held each other. We cried together. Um, and I remember one of my friends was like, listen, we got to get out of here. Both of our parents really wanted us to get as far away from the school as possible, Um and he was willing to walk me as close to Coral Ridge and Coral Springs Drive. And if you know where that is, it's far. Kind of <laughs> far. It's a walk. Yes, it's not close. It's not close at all. Um, but that's where I was being told to go. And we just started walking. I remember walking through the this community, I think it was Eagle Trace, and we were walking, and you just see two black kids walking in this neighborhood and People were like passing by us, passing by us, looking at us like, what are these kids doing? They must be skipping school or, or they, or they thought like, oh, like this, sh- you know, the shooting had happened. Like, you-, you know, I don't know, but it wasn't until a black couple who lived in the neighborhood seen us and they were like, where are your parents? We're saying we're trying to get to them. They told us to get in the car and they drove us as close as possible because everything was like shut off, like closed off. So after that, I... Saw this one girl I used to go to group therapy with walking and I told the woman, I'm like, listen, you could drop me off right here because this is my girl right here. I'm going to be safe. I know her people. I know that her people live in Eagle Trace. So I kind of knew like I could, you know, my family would feel secure knowing I'm with her versus walking on the street and in a random person's car. So (laughs) so um, I she let me go. The other my friend said that he's good right here. I went and then we just sat there on the the couch watching the news, realizing how bad it was. You know, when they were escorting us, they told us not to look below or behind us. They just said, keep looking at the person in front of you. And I listened. I'm so proud for listening because I can't, I didn't know, even though I was in that building, had no clue how serious it was. Like I could have only imagined. And that's, that's a blessing that I've realized the older I get. I'm so happy I don't have that because a lot of my classmates have that trauma and I honestly cannot relate. Once I found out how bad it was, I just remember me and my friend just trying to just talk about like, oh my God, like we were supposed to text that boy we liked. We were supposed <laughs> to hang out at school. Like we just were trying to make, it was like comic relief, just trying to disassociate from what we just survived especially because she didn't realize I was in the building either I didn't know what it meant to be in that freshman building at all my mother thought freshman building meant freshman so she didn't even consider the fact that I was you know in the midst of all of it so that in itself my mother ended up on top of that my my grandfather and my mother walked two miles to get to Eagle Trace wow because they shut off everything just to retrieve me and then, you know, all of that. So all to say that it was a lot. I haven't really told my story in a very long time, only because like I've just took a little step back in gun violence field in general.
0: I'm so glad that you shared that because I don't even know if you remember, but I met you when I was sharing the classroom with Mrs. Falkowski. so i got moved out of my room because it's really two rooms and they pulled the divider wall closed so five teachers who were in the building like kind of rotated through both sides of my room and i was moved totally fine so i met you then and we shared melissa the teacher and I shared that space the rest of the school year. And then you had such a personality and I kept asking her, I'm like, who is this kid? She's like (laughs) Mei Ling. I'm like, I like her. So I requested to have you in my English class as a senior. And then I got you as a senior, but in all of our time talking, as long as I have known you, I haven't heard your story. I knew you were in the building. I knew you were on the second floor, but I didn't know the actual story. So I am so honored that you would share that, not just with me, but with everybody listening, because it is a very private thing. And as open as I am in talking about it, I know there are so many people who are equally as closed off or guarded or don't want to talk about it. And I just I appreciate you doing that because these stories are important, especially from people of color, because there is such distrust in law enforcement and, you know, to hear how perspectives have changed and how perception of things, how you may have felt before the shooting and since these are important conversations to have. Something else I remember, Mm -hmm. and I don't know if you remember. So we had a lockdown drill, a code red drill. Then they changed the name of it to lockdown. But we had the first one of the school year, your senior year, during my English class. Do you remember? Yes. Yes. Okay. And you sat behind my desk and you and another student who I cannot remember her name, but she was very tiny. Mm -hmm. She was like my height. I had one of each of you on either side of me. Mm -hmm. And I just remember I had my arm around you and I was like rubbing your back and trying to help keep you calm. And I could not for the life of me understand why they would do that. Like why we had to, I know why we had to have them, but why we had to have it so early in the school year with Mm -hmm three quarters of the school and 90% of the faculty who had just gone through something six months earlier. I felt terrible for all of you. But then I was also kind of glad that you were with me because I felt like if you had to go through this with someone, I'm glad it was me that I could help I don't know, facilitate keeping you calm or, you know, forget whatever we were, te- we were going to do in English that day. Like if we all just needed to sit and chat and breathe and cry, like we could have done that. And, you know, I, like there are very specific things about the day that I remember. And I certainly don't want to make this all about me, mm-hmm. but then there are very specific things in the months after that yeah. I remember. And like a code red drill of all things, but I, I remember that and I, oh God, they and never get I, easier.
1: They never, like I rem- when, and I'm so thankful I was with you too, because, um, I found a, a trigger in that, in that moment. And it was, you know, I, cause like I said earlier, I understand and respect, the lockdown drill, because it's something that saved my life. Had I been in view of a window, you know, I probably wouldn't be here. Or, you know, if the lights weren't shut off, I probably wouldn't be here. Right. But that doesn't stop the fact that me being crunched up for a long period of time puts me right back in that classroom. And I didn't, I didn't realize that until my knees are starting to cramp. And, Everyone is in complete silence and it's because we survived it. We know like that it feels as if the gunman is outside and it's, they're not. Right. It's a drill. So having you to comfort me, to kind of center me back into the fact that this isn't happening at this very moment. Is something I'm always grateful for because, like I said before, like, you know, now I don't have, you know, everybody was my favorite teacher. I loved all. <laughs> I loved everybody. I was respectful with, with all my but teachers. But I'm like the favorite favorite. You were like the favorite favorite. So (laughs) it just it was it was super comforting to be like, okay, like, you know, this is like my teacher mom. So I'm good. I'm good. I'm okay. It's not happening. It's not real. You know, the 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 knee cramps and the silence and the dark room. Like, yes, it's all very familiar. But I just kept going back to the I, the thought that everyone needs to know this. Everybody needs to experience this. Everybody needs to be familiar with it mm-hmm. because it can happen. And we cannot live in a world where, like, even before, oh, my goodness, um, even before this, I remember a lot of the students in the Black, in, in my, in the black community, we had this one friend, this one homegirl, and she lived. I want to say a block away from the school, and we, when well, we did the uh, initial training before the shooting, we all said that we were going to meet at her house if something was to happen. Keep in mind, like even though my 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 thing derailed because obviously, I you know I told you my story, so it wasn't really yeah. an A B situation because I was in the building. But all of my friends during on February fourteenth actually met up at her house. Oh wow you know, because it, you know, it was, we prepped, but it was theoretical, but in the middle of, of, sur- of survivor of being a, a surviving, it's like, you know, that's what practice does. So what I was, understand the value in it.
0: What was it like for you to see the
1: school on the news? <sighs> <laughs> um, yeah. Yeah. No, for me, seeing it on the news, some of the kids even turn on the phone during the shooting. It pissed me off so bad. Um, But coming back out the building and hearing people like, oh, Trump is talking about it, y'all. Like, look, look, look. And then, you know, like then watching it on the news when they got to the House, it was like, wow, okay, this is expected because it's a shooting. But then when it was time to go home, I believe we had two weeks off after the shooting. Yeah. Um, And. We were on the news the day after, then the day after, then the day after, then the day after, and then a week after, and then it just kept going. And also part of it was because of so many students spoke out. Mm -hmm. But from someone who has been marching since day one, a lot of people in my community do not get that much media coverage that it's like a back-to-back thing. Um, Usually it's like one time and then maybe like the court day comes up and then here he goes, they come back again. And probably not, you know, no one, we'd never get that much coverage. Black and brown people who, who survive gun violence, you know, who experience gun violence, even stu- like if you even, if you guys know about like um, Bullets for Life or Moms Demand Action, like a lot of the the Black mothers don't have that media coverage for their daughters and sons. Um, so me watch staying at home and watching so much media coverage come to Parkland made absolutely no sense to me, but it was it was the truth, the hard truth um, that I had to experience at 17 years old that my mother had to sit down and answer those questions for me um, and explain why Stoneman Douglas got this uh, media coverage. And she encouraged me to speak out on like, what is the difference between a young man in in, in Miami getting shot down versus any, being in a white school and 17 die, you know, like death is death. And the mother's grief is mother's grief. It doesn't matter the color, doesn't matter the the class, doesn't matter the community, doesn't matter the, the white pearly community gates, like, you know, it doesn't. It, it never mattered. But in America, when you're, quote unquote, the safest community and realizing that gun violence can hit that even too, is like, oh my gosh, you know, but it's something that needs to be spoken about because we have to... Uh, approach gun violence in an intersectional approach. And gun violence looks like inner city gun violence where, you know, Black people are killing other Black people. It could look like domestic violence within a relationship where a woman is going to kill, um, shoots her, boyfriend because he abuses her it can look like suicide you know these are all forms of gun violence and neither of them are more tragic than the other but mass shootings is just something that's like super infamous therefore they feel like it garners more media attention
0: i agree and something that we've always tried to work on with teachers unified to end gun violence is school shootings mass shootings are such a small percentage of gun violence and at any conference i've spoken any interview i've done i always make that point because it is community gun violence it is suicide domestic violence things that plague communities of color that make up the largest percentage or a large percentage of gun violence but that they get the smallest amount of media coverage or if it is covered It's not done in a sympathetic way. It's just stating the facts. You know, I remember watching the news that night and I saw our school on CNN and like I almost had this out of body experience. Like I was looking at any other school anywhere in America, Mm -hmm. but I was just there a half hour ago and my car is still in that parking lot. And, you know, it was so, so weird. Do you think that we got so much media coverage because it's a school in an affluent area? Or do you think we got it because so many people were killed and so many people were injured? Or is it a combination of both?
1: I definitely believe it's a combination of both. I think it's because... Who would have thought Parkland? I think that was a big thing. That was like you know Parkland was is like a it's an affluent community, um it's a safe community it's a pretty quiet community. Mm-hmm. Um, however, like so who wouldn't who knew? It's also there's only one high school I believe that's in Parkland as well. Yes, so, yeah, so it's like why why Parkland out of all schools? And then it's also the number. It was a high number any number is a high number Mm -hmm. um but in total you know those who were killed and also those who were shot and survived and then also the amount of students in the freshman building who survived in general without being escaped like that it's something that was worth talking about um from a media perspective for sure
0: So a week after I was asked to be on CNN and I was on opposite the sheriff from Ohio. And I think it was the day that Trump had like a press conference or something. And he talked about arming teachers. I did the side by side with this sheriff from Ohio. And I just laid into him because, you know, what do I have to lose? Like, look at what I just went through a week ago. And I, I mean, I'm sure you can find the clip somewhere out there. It's probably labeled angry teacher yells at sheriff. <laughs> but, <laughs> you know, I'm like, this is absurd. What would a handgun do for me if the shooter had entered my room? What if, you know, what if a student gets my weapon? How will having guns on campus make students of color feel any safer? Like, these are things that people don't think about When they talk about arming teachers, it's just absurd to me because even with, what did you say, 9%, like even with such a small percent of Black students on campus, not to mention Hispanic students, Middle Eastern students, South Asian students, like anyone of color at all, would more guns on campus make anyone feel safe? Uh, No. No. Nor would it make the teachers feel safe, in my opinion. So, mm-hmm. sorry, yeah. I didn't mean to go off you're on fine. a tangent. No,
1: you're, you're fine, and I think we could look at facts. You know, like let's let's start looking at facts, people. Like my, like I said earlier, my perspective on like police have definitely changed starting February 14th. At the simple fact that like not only was I am point by an officer after surviving the shooting, but also um, like our resource officer, the same person that was on campus with us making, you know, are you stop running or stop? Y'all not supposed to be out here dancing. And y'all not, see you know, like they, he was hard on us um, on campus, but at least I know like we're quote unquote safe. Right? right. And, you know, I, you know, I really don't blame him as a person for not running into the building. But when you look at coaches who were unarmed, go walk, run head first, body first to protect students and the one person that was armed was too scared who froze in that moment it's like gun or not the confidence the odds were against all of us absolutely the odds were against every single one of us and all of us were in danger in danger gun or no gun Mm -hmm. right now, if it was a circumstance where there was a proven fact that have, being armed gave you the confidence to protect a whole school from a shooting, maybe our dialogue would be different. Right. But that's that in in actual like social like like in an actual let's say experiment or real life mm-hmm. proof, it didn't work. Um, no, and I
0: don't think it would ever work. No. <laughs> which is why I will always say how stupid that is. It's dumb. And the eight to 10 years I have left until I am eligible to retire, even after I retire, I will continue speaking out, having had all of these years in the classroom and how absolutely stupid me having a gun could possibly be.
1: Like, and then we have to also be honest with ourselves. What does a shootout between a teacher and a gunman Right, possibly be safe mm-hmm. for anybody absolutely it talk about the, trauma you know, that i could only like i can't i cannot even imagine what that would no. have looked like if there was multiple shootouts between the teachers and and watching my like you know i know it was already enough damage as it was, you know, Absolutely. like it would have just created more. That's what, and pe- people are forgetting guns are for, they, they say it's for burglars and birds, you know, <laughs> but that's not, that's not what's the that's not what's happening. People are no. killing people. So, Absolutely. and they're used to, they're being used to kill other people. So why are we adding more into right. a place where it's supposed to be safe? We felt safe at Stoma Douglas, like, It's true. So when
0: Sandy Hook happened, because when we're recording this, we're a couple days out from the 11 year mark. I was teaching at another school in the district. I was at South Plantation High School, very, very minority dense school. And I was there for 10 years. But when Sandy Hook happened, my son was in first grade like those kids. And as I was watching the news that day, I remember sitting on the phone with my husband and he's like, do you feel safe as a teacher? And I said, of course I do. You know, nothing like that's going to happen here. Okay. Fast forward a couple of years and it did, but I will tell you, I felt safe up until that day and I have never felt unsafe since that day. Absolutely. You know, when I say that to people and I'm glad, I'm glad you agree with me, mm-hmm. but when I say that to people, they just kind of like, look at me sideways. Like, how is that possible? You live through a school shooting. How do you still feel safe at school? Because it's not an unsafe place. You know, it's in a, a nice community. I've taught in other places where I have also felt safe in much rougher neighborhoods. It's not, I don't know, like I've always felt safe at school mm-hmm. in spite of
1: everything. And a lot of my advocacy um, after some of like this, I had the privilege of meeting students in urban communities all around the nation, you know, Chicago, mm-hmm. Milwaukee, D.C., like and they they feel safe in their schools. Right. More, they feel more safe within their school than when they have to walk to home. They, when they have to walk home, mm-hmm. who is supposed to make you feel safe? And you know, shooting, sh- shooting or no shooting, right? There, it's somewhere where it's where res- it's respected, you know. Right. where It's not supposed to be a target. And you know, as the years go on, you know, our school shootings are becoming more prevalent, and that's it sucks. But mm-hmm. it's way better. And people, you know, if and it's sad because most of these people who say these things have never been in these hoods or never been in these communities um that under that understand like these students don't experience gun violence in their schools they experience right. it when they walk out.
0: Okay. So tell me then what cuz I know we were off for the 2 weeks and if you're like me I don't really remember much of those 2 weeks it's all a blur. But what were the months like? Like do you remember much from the rest of that school year and how you know, the summer went and the start of senior year, like the first six months after, what was that like for you?
1: It was a blur. And that's because I I was organizing. I was mobilizing. I was speaking. I was traveling. I was angry. I was pissed off. <laughs> um, When you're pissed off, you know, when you're really mad, you just black out. Yes. I blacked out for probably six months. Um, <laughs> I think I actually blacked out for a year. And I just remember just advocacy and meeting a lot of students um, that have experienced gun violence on different spectrums. Um, but I also remember a lot of grief. A lot of the months after the shooting was just full and full of grief. All of the funerals. Um, I didn't attend. I didn't attend not one. I could okay. not. But also those who commit suicide after the shooting sucked um, we lost one in the in the black community storm Douglas we actually lost one of our friends um cesari mhm to an asthma attack but no one really addressed it so something like that would have been addressed in the classroom officially but that wasn't that didn't happen because we have already just survived the shooting right. so it kind of was overshadowed but it's not like there's an empty there's an empty desk next to me
0: i um, had cesari in my mm-hmm. journalism class
1: you did oh. i did rest in peace rest in power I I did attend her funeral, but that was, it was a lot of grief. It was heavy. Hence why I was living in anger for a majority of those months. So I don't remember quite frankly, everything. That's,
0: That's okay. I don't know. I mean, I'm clearly older than you are, but I find the farther away from it, I get certain things become clearer with time. And then other things stay fuzzy or become fuzzy at which I'm sure is a psychological field day to analyze trauma and PTSD and how it impacts your brain. Can't tell you what I did during those two weeks we were off except for like three or four things that I remember very clearly and very specifically. Yes. So being a survivor, having lived your formative years as an activist, how has all of this impacted your life and your family? <sighs> well, <laughs> if my family
1: wasn't sheltering, then <laughs> you know, <laughs> you know, it got it, it. Surprisingly, it it got worse, but it got better at the same time. Worse, as in the places that you think that I would be safe, they will still be like I don't know, school, the beach. Walmart, Publix, common places that you would not be like, you know, you need to be careful is there's more caution. Me walking out of the house every day is a caution um, because they didn't expect me to experience a shooting on February 14th. It was just like any other day. Right. But and that's me now. Everywhere I go, I'm constantly looking at the exit. Um, Even the um, Buffalo shooting that had happened in the supermarket, like completely shook me up because. I could be in Walmart, (laughs) you know, I could be in Publix, and it it, it could happen, right, so um, knowing my exits, being very cautious of people, my freshman year, uh, I was in class with this boy with red hair, Caucasian, Trumpy, and he triggered the hell out of me, like, you know, I almost I even told my professor <laughs> that he was, that this kid is triggering me and he doesn't even know me. He doesn't know that he's triggering me. He doesn't know my experience. It's not his fault. But he looked so, he looked exactly like the gunman and acted as such. And it was like, you know, it's not my fault. And I treated him as such. I didn't even want to be around him. Right. And even if I, sometimes I even stopped coming to class for certain days after him having such heavy debates and very opinionated on like on guns and stuff so i just stopped coming to class because i felt like i was unsafe so my ptsd like definitely translate in that way it affects me and how i did with the, um like my february 14th the day of love um i've been in a relationship since 2019 going on four years now and honestly like it's hard for him to gauge. My mindset on that day, and how to make me feel safe, and on a day where it's supposed to be celebrated, July Fourth, like Mm -hmm. you know, like Labor Day. Oh, I hate fireworks. I hate them. I hate them. I hate them. I hate them. I want them to all disappear. Yep. Um. I love how pretty they are, but I have to wear. (laughs) I have to wear earmuffs. I have to wear noise canceling, canceling headphones because, like I said, my trauma is very audio based. I remember. Oh. I can just keep the list keeps going. I remember Fortnite mobile came out probably in February or March after the shooting and everybody in class was playing Fortnite and it was just a whole bunch of shooting, shooting. shooting. It was, it was so triggering. I walked out, I remember walking out of my class, my computer science class, like I'm not doing this, like having to explain to my teacher, like I don't, I don't. it sounds so selfish to tell a whole class. To stop playing their game when they have a right to. So I guess that's how it changed for me and my family is just like valuing life every single day. Even today, even till this day, my boss, like when I come into the office and he's like ready to like get on me about my work and stuff. And I'm just like, yay! And he's just like, Why are you just so why am you just always so happy? I'm just <laughs> happy to be on my life. You know, like yeah. the 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 shooting has showed me that. I am utterly blessed, and I'm a survivor, and I'm resilient. Um, so what can make a bad a bad day for you is, is not the same thing that makes it a bad day for me. I take things with, like, a can of paint. Like, it doesn't, doesn't faze me at all. I'm just happy to be here.
0: I love that about you. And I have always loved that about you. I am incredibly mindful of where I am and where I sit. And I was telling you, my cousin is a reporter for the ABC station in Buffalo, and he covered the shooting at Tops. So, you know, I've spoken with him at length about trauma and trauma-informed journalism and you know, I mean, the work he's doing up there is tremendous, but I know what it feels like as a parent and a survivor. I cannot imagine being a young woman or a young man, you know, of color in these situations, knowing that T.O.P.S. has happened. How do you feel safe anywhere? It's so difficult. So what have you done to take care of yourself and take care of your mental health?
1: I have. Learn how to meditate. I actually was um, going to like yoga and like meditation uh, and things with my mom a little bit before the shooting, um, but it was just like for fun things. Now it's kind of like I've I've taken those tools that I've learned and I actually use them when I'm just need some time. 2020, I definitely spent a lot of time just meditating and this being present within myself. Especially in the wake of George Floyd, I have, like, asthma, so my family was not playing with COVID at all. They wouldn't let me out the house. (laughs) So a time where I really, really, really felt the need to be outside and to be advocating and marching, like, I couldn't do anything, especially, like, being in big crowds. It's been a while since I've been a part of a big crowd. Um, That's something that's also a trigger for me. I can do it, but I won't feel safe. So I kind of just spent a lot of time with myself. I think also focusing on my mental health, um, I had a therapist prior to the shooting, and I remember like going back to my therapist after shooting, and she just broke down and cried when I told mm. her my story, and she was like, I'm so sorry, I'm not supposed to be crying, like it's unprofessional, and I looked at her, I'm like, you're shooting, like if you didn't cry, I would be scared, I would find another therapist, because that that is not, it's not healthy, you know? So I guess focusing on my mental health, meditating, being community with my friends, and also when I do find myself triggered, I call those who experienced it with me. I didn't leave someone that was after the shooting because who else would understand what I went through? That's why Probably. I'm still there. More than the people that are actually there. They, I, I, I completely get it. Now, those who have a, the chance to weather, to go to Stoneman Douglas, um, and they never experienced it. I think they have a valid reason, whether they feel uncomfortable with that school or not. But those who experience it, it's home, it's family. Even going to, to even going to like the school and like sitting by the garden in of the school that um, Victoria had created. Yeah. It's such a great place to sit down and really just pay your respects. Mm-hmm. And it's so super peaceful. And, you know, I sit there and I pray and I just remember the good times, the beauty that came out of the school. That's what helps with my PTSD is remembering that not allowing the gunmen to take the the joy of the memories of those that we lost and take the joy out of the experience that I had in the school. Well, I think a big thing
0: to keep in mind is it happened to us, but it doesn't define us and we shouldn't let it define us. Do you feel like after we came back to school that there was like an openness in talking about going to therapy?
1: Absolutely. We created a culture of mental health that I am so thankful that we that we had accessible to us. What hurt was the fact that a lot of the Black students at Stoneman Douglas were very apprehensive about getting mental health help, um, especially those that were in the building. They just would not go. Anytime I saw that they were down or triggered, I would walk them to the um, trauma center that we had. The um, wellness center? The wellness, yes, yeah. the wellness center that we, we had at the time and walk them to there because sometimes it takes, it takes someone to help you you know, could take that step. But I loved how the culture has changed. And that, you know, till this day, we have to have that openness, especially with, um, and I got to add this, my perspective in here on this too, especially being greeted back at school with the excessive amount of police officers that were there was not helpful (laughs) at all. No, no, no. It was, there was like over a hundred of them lined up, like, welcome back, welcome back, welcome back. <laughs> like, like me, we y'all were like, we, we weren't at gunpoint like two mo- weeks ago, you know, like that, that was traumatizing. So, and they were there for a very long time. That's why I'm thankful for the guardians that were there. Mm-hmm. I loved them. They were less intimidating.
0: Oh, they were um, fantastic. They
1: were amazing. Oh, I loved them. Until yes, they we see them on February 13th. Yeah. Um, I, I hugged one of them and I'm like, I know you don't remember me, but I'm going to hug <laughs> you. <laughs> you you met the world to me. And I'm thankful that you're still here. You still show up. But yeah, like it was, there was an openness. And I, I loved that about so many of
0: I think that for so many students, what was offered at school wasn't right for them. And those who were able sought counseling and help on their own. But there was just such a willingness to be open and to talk about it. You know, I mean, from my perspective, I've been in therapy on and off since the age of five, and I'm a huge advocate of mental health and taking care of yourself. But so many students don't talk about it because there's this stigma, you know, something must be wrong with me because I go to therapy. And in finishing the yearbook that year, the 2018 book, so many of my students we're in the building, like my yearbook staff were in the building. And for them to say, you know, listen, learner, I can't stay today to work on deadline. Like I have to go to therapy at four. I'm like, please go. But even weeks prior, that never would have been the way they framed it. You know, like, oh, I have somewhere to be after school. And then I'm looking at them like, really? Because mm-hmm. I need you here. But just being open enough to say it, you know, I'm like, listen, go, I go too, please. I'll see you tomorrow. Mm -hmm. And that, I don't want to say, you know, good things came out of this, but one of the positives that came out of this, I think was this willingness to be open about taking care of your mental health. And it seems to me like it's spread generationally because I've spoken to students across the country And they feel comfortable talking about taking care of their mental health. Perhaps it's a post-COVID thing. But it's also, I believe, because we made it okay, because we were all in it. I think the, the minority of students did not get mental health like we were all going. I would run into teachers and students in the waiting room when I was going to see my therapist, And, you know, everything's supposed to be HIPAA and confidential and we're all like looking like we don't see each other, but like, I see you. And I'm glad that we all did it. And I'm glad that you have been able to take care of yourself and your mental health because this is, it's a long road ahead and you need those tools or you will, not you personally, but the bigger you, will just fall apart if you don't know how to care for yourself Know when you're good, know when you're not, and the ways to kind of center and ground yourself if you are having a panic attack or having a rough day or something triggers you. So I'm really glad that you've been able to do that for yourself.
1: It's super important. Something that has been my number one priority in my life is my mental well being and also being able to recognize when I'm falling, like when when I'm going down, like, okay, maybe it's time for us to get back up. Okay, let's let's catch yourself. These are the signs that your mental health isn't doing so well. And I'm, honestly, like, a part of my mental health is how I advocate, you know, is I did a lot of ripping and ripping and running to the point that my own therapist was like, Mailing, like, I don't think you're healing properly. And I was like, oh, you don't, listen, I'm doing exactly what I need to do. <laughs> like, this is helping. I promise it's helping. And she was like, no, I don't think so. And I was just like, oh, it's it is what it is. That's the I when I don't to my therapist, it never works out. Anymore. Um, and I just kept going and going and going. And uh, eventually I realized that I had no balance. I never really had uh my social life was school because my family never really let me go out that out that much, but to have school. And to have advocacy, fighting against gun violence, and the thing about gun violence is like it's such a personal, grief-filled work. Like you know, like it's it's full of trauma. Um, Absolutely, physical, mental, and even you know, centering the families of the deceased is something that's so heavy. Um, that I was working, I felt like I was working on 24 hours of my life and it was not good for me. So, finding the balance and how I advocate is that at some point I had to shut it down. Sometimes I have to go out with my friends and not talk about bad violence, you know, like I'd stop thinking about what this, what the shooting had made me, but who I was, but before all of it.
0: I'm going to combine my next two questions. So I want to know what you, well, I know, but I want everyone to know what you've done since you graduated, but also how you continue to remain in the gun violence prevention movement.
1: Ever since I graduated, um, I attended Alabama AM University. Currently, I'm part-time at Ballard College. I came home, um, one, because of the pandemic, and two, I miss home. A lot was going on at home, and I family not does need me. So getting away was healthy for me to kind of, like, Get away from the cameras, get away from the fishbowl um, that gun violence kind of created. Like the word stolen up is an MSE and really Hoshey, you know, was attached to. But coming back home, I was able to find a home at an organization called was Change, Change. And it's mostly centered in criminal justice reform and recovery. And to kind of answer your second before I go into my first, is that when it comes to, to gun violence, In general, gun control, in general, I've taken a step back, honestly, due to my mental health, because I found out that people don't want to make changes until people die. And that is the harsh reality of being in this field. And it is draining 100%. But what I do appreciate is attending um, events or gatherings from people that are still in the movement and in support of that. I don't mind sharing my story in these in these spaces as well to cause awareness, but to fully work on it, the majority of my time has been completely exhausted. I'm tired. I had told Joaquin's mother last time I had seen her at the Mom Seman Action Pegnet that I've taken this, I've taken a step back and she says I completely understand. And she made me feel okay in that, which is something I feel guilted in about leaving but I never I'm you never leave you know because I'm a survivor therefore like I'm walking living advocate you know like because of my experience but it also translates into the work that I do now which has change a lot of the policies that change or the conversations that open up in the mass media when people die when it comes to Gun violence with criminal justice reform. I feel like I could help people before I lose them. I feel like I can meet them where they are. Um, Those who are angry, those who are upset, you know, s- s- kind of can resemble the gunman himself who suffer from mental health and so suffered from a rough past, rough past, family problems you know the foster care system that don't have a way that have encounters with officers that have encounters with the justice system and show them that you don't have to be angry you don't have to be mad you know the system is built against you um, especially a black and brown man and let them know that like you cannot solve your problems by using violence to use it you can you know providing re-entry services providing them resources providing them mental health services can change somebody. The second chance has changed everything. And that's kind of how I've been approaching it with my experience in the gun violence field is finding those people. And also for my mental health too is recognizing who I was prior to the shooting. Prior to the shooting, I was more since Allison's daughter, you know? Someone that was incarcerated majority of my childhood. So finding out how justice impacted I am allows me to really focus on who I am before the shooting, after the shooting, and help those who deserve second chances and that the world hasn't given up on them. So that's kind of what I've been doing. So right now I'm the community organizer, the lead community organizer. That chain has changed, which is a community-based organization, both in Goward and Miami-Dade, that provides reentry services and recovery support to those who are just as impacted and currently incarcerated.
0: What a wonderful organization to work for, because it, it combines all of the things that you love and all of the things that you care about and have always cared about. Mm-hmm. And I can't think of a more perfect, perfect place for you to be. So where do you see yourself in the future? I have no clue. Like I staying have. within criminal justice or?
1: I have no clue. I,
0: and you don't have to because you're still young.
1: I'm still, I'm 22. When I are found out right? that 22 means two years old as an adult, it has given <laughs> me so much grace. That is true. I, I Yeah. I, my perspective has changed. I'm a baby. Two years old. <laughs> I'm
0: telling you, you're still a kid to me.
1: I'm still a kid. I have time um i have a lot of experience in organizing mm-hmm. um, and grassroots organizing and I, I love that i'm able to execute that within my job building safe spaces for people who feel like they're unvalued who's been told that they are invalidated and they're 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 nobodies when they're ostracized from society and letting them know that they have a place in their society um and creating these spaces for them creating brunches and painting sessions and financial literacy classes and all these things are like tools to build somebody up you know and it's like you know centering those who just deserve a second chance has been such fulfilling thing for me that I really didn't get in the environments field because I, I always felt dread because of how how much it hurt because I thought because it's so close like it's just it was just too, too close um and it was so the bright the The happy things about it is that we could come together and cry about it. You know, that's, you know, that it's kind of like a a weird thing Mm -hmm. that I did appreciate in that field, but I could still experience that, but I don't have to do it as (laughs) a (laughs) job. You know, I think that that was the thing. Since graduating, I've met so many powerful figures, so many powerful organizers, so many powerful elected officials that care about all things. even spoken in um, Rwanda in Africa speaking on like women's rights and what it means to be an advocate as a young Black woman and it was such a great experience and it's like oh I might I might want to hop over there sometime (laughs) and I want to do like a little interest over there um, with women now and then it's like I have then I have like sister love in Atlanta and then I have you know the AFT and it's Mm -hmm. like I could hop over there too like I just I'm going and I just want to experience like and learn from everybody in that, in that sense.
0: You are going to do such wonderful things as you move beyond being a two-year-old in the adult world. <laughs> because, And I'm going to use that phrase forever now, by the way, because I've known you for so long and I keep in touch with a number of students from your time at Stoneman Douglas, and you're all doing amazing things. But the work that you are doing in such a unique and specific field, and you're not out there in the media all the time, you know, pushing what you're doing, but you're doing the important work on the ground. Whatever you choose to do, you're going to kick ass and be amazing. Whether it's hanging out with your best friend, Randy Weingarten. or hanging with Michelle Obama, or the girls in Rwanda, you know, you are, you are doing wonderful things. And you will continue to do wonderful things. And I think about you all the time. Mm -hmm. And I am so grateful that you are a part of my life. And I want you to know, (laughs) that my own children talk about you quite regularly because your senior year, David was in seventh grade and he is now a senior,
1: Yes, which is gross. He's so
0: tall. Oh my God. I know. It's so gross. And (laughs) Hannah was in fourth grade, your senior year. And she, I don't know if you remember, but she drew you a picture. Okay. (laughs) And she was obsessed with you you. So like my kids talk about you all the time. So you make a wonderful lasting impression on all of the people who encounter you. And Mm -hmm. I'm so honored that you took the time to do this episode with me. But beyond that, I'm just grateful to have you in my life because I think you are so, so wonderful. And you have overcome so much and you just keep on ticking and you are going to be the change that you want to see in the world. And I appreciate you.
1: I appreciate you too. It, 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 and, and that's why when I started my advocacy, I wanted to go straight to the teacher's union because if it wasn't for my teachers, if it wasn't for you, like, I I probably would have just stopped, like, if I felt like I didn't have the support from my teachers, I probably would have been like, you know what, man, let me just focus on school. <laughs> let, me just focus on, let me just focus on school. Let me just not do too much. Let me just, you know, stay focused. But it's like, I, I just have so much love and respect for you. And because you also, you also took the whole Black community and, like, with your open arms in your classroom and then you were in your face so i'm not surprised that you thought
0: that you were the one. i, think, the I one. think i had everybody in my classroom at you one had, point
1: you had all of us until this day so talk about you
0: was,
1: just like, was the realest one
0: <laughs> it's true i was it is
1: true. i it still is. am you still
0: are and i loved my time as the step coach and i mean i loved when i taught at south plantation I love you and I appreciate you and I hope you'll want to come back and be a guest again soon. Thank you for listening. Don't forget to follow teachers unified to end gun violence on Instagram and threads at teachers unify and follow the podcast on both platforms at teachers unify PC.